Good morning, everybody. About to break an arm. Just kidding. In Jesus' love. Doug obviously is not here today. He is not feeling well. Uh, I think some kind of uh, flu-like symptoms or whatever. Um, I think he was well enough to watch football yesterday. <laughs> so uh, not, not the comparison to this at all. Uh, but he is feeling kind of okay, but not well enough to preach. So Friday, Friday he wasn't feeling well and asked me to, um, to preach. So that's my privilege to do so. Um, what I'm going to tell you today you know, all right? So, and I'll also make a number of confessions. I trust that that will have you leaning forward in your seat, you know, to what is she going to say? Oh, my goodness. Something she learned at Perkins, perhaps. Um, anyway, some of you are awake and some of you need to make a coffee run. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, um, God is our creator. We know that God is our creator, he's our redeemer, and he's our sustainer, and we are his creation. And part of the job of Adam and Eve in the garden, they were supposed to tend the garden, and they were supposed to rule over the fish of the sea and the beasts, uh, the birds in the sky and over cattle. Let me read to you uh, Genesis 1, 26. And then God said, let us make man, some, in some translations it says mankind, uh, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping things. That's the part that bothers me. And over every creeping things that creeps on the earth. Um, Genesis 1:26, a very famous passage. And so what God established for us to do was very clear and then sin entered the picture pretty quickly. And so God was obviously in a relationship with Adam and Eve and would walk with them in the cool of the day and all of that. And yet because of sin, that all was compromised badly. I know in this passage, I've heard some men that when it talks about rule over the fish of the sea, I've been told that fishermen sometimes, you know, perhaps in a spiritual moment, quote this verse, you know, as they're fishing. Uh, hoping that the fish would just, you know, jump into the boat. Uh, likewise for those who hunt. And I have a story to tell you about a time that I was in uh, Africa. We took a mission trip. These are not vacations. We took a mission trip to Africa uh, in 1987. And it actually was at the time when the apartheid vote was happening. So it was a very critical time in the life of the people in South Africa. And the, the churches that we were in were fully integrated they were completely integrated, and uh, everyone had concerns about the apartheid and all of that kind of stuff. There was, there was real concern about that. Um, while we were there, we were visiting with pastors, and uh, they decided we needed to go on a camping sort of excursion to kind of a safari place where there were, uh, like lions, but other animals bigger than me or you, right? And so they thought that would be cool. And so you're kind of in this enclosed thing you know, with cabins, but the animals are free to roam. Um, now, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, uh, and I did a fair amount of camping, taking your kids, hauling your kids to camp, but as far as going to Africa and being in an enclosed place in a cabin and being able to hear the animals, as well as the drums at night in Africa, we were riding with this guy down the, down the road, and he said, now, if we took a left here, 
we'd be going to a school where people train, where witch doctors are trained in their craft. But if we take a right, then we go down here to the Christian whatever. Um, so the drums at night were very real, and there was real oppression there. Even though it was very beautiful and all of that, there was also just real oppression. So we go to this encampment, and there was kind of like what we baptized people in. There was kind of a big water trough, and there was a spigot coming up out of the ground, and that was kind of the source of water. I do not remember about indoor plumbing. I think I've had healing of memories, you know. Um, but it was like, okay, whose idea? And do we get to vote? And I didn't get to vote. Anyway, so uh, when, when night falls, there's not a lot of light. I mean, there's light in the cabin, but not a lot of light. And so, um, but I noticed that the largest spider I had ever seen to date I apologize in advance if you love spiders. This will not end well for the things you love. Um, but the largest spider I'd ever seen to date was making his way toward our cabin right outside the door. And so, I mean, I'm talking bigger than any tarantula. You know, I'm not talking, I mean, I'm talking like at least as big as your hand, okay? And so I found someone to take care of that and send them him to spider heaven, you know, if there is such a place. Um, and so I was going out with my toothbrush and my toothpaste, and you had to go to this watering hole thing to brush your teeth. And I should have just thought, it's worth the time in the dentist chair, you know, to not do this. But I go out thinking, it's fine, you know, it's fine. Uh, and I brush my teeth, and I look up, and I'm looking eye to eye with a kudu. Now, I don't know if you've known a kudu, but it's the combination of a deer and an antelope, and they're big. Okay, you see those horn things? And I mean, we're eye to eye, and his eyes were a little bit red because of the light from the cabin. And now, I don't remember getting back in the cabin, you know. <laughs> I don't think he was there to brush his teeth. I didn't offer, you know. But, but, and I don't remember how well I slept that night, you know. But anyway, my friend the kudu... Um, I trust he was able to drink some water and move on down the road. Pretty an amazing situation in South Africa. We went on to Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe's in the news right now. Uh, prayer for Zimbabwe would be a good thing. And we were in the capital and staying with some missionary friends, and they had a very nice home. I mean, it was a home they rented, but it was very nice. I mean, tennis courts and swimming pool. Do you understand what I mean by nice? And I was just kind of like, Anyway, and the key word there is Zimbabwe. But uh, so we were in a guest bedroom, and it was very nice. Uh, and putting our things away, I was putting my stuff away and realized we were going to be there several days. And they didn't have screens on the windows. Y'all know where I'm going with this, right? Uh, so no screens on the window. And I noticed that the, that the largest spider I've ever seen, better than the one in South Africa, Zimbabwe wins, um, was on the wall minding his own business, but really pretty blue wall uh, paint. You know, I kind of like blue. And I mean, huge. And not moving. And I'm thinking, you know, I am not sleeping with that thing in this room. I'm, you know, because I could just see him making his little way over, you know. And so, and I really thought, okay, if I hit him on the wall, it's going to mess up the wall. Sorry, but I did think that. And so I knocked him off the wall and killed him. And I was just like sore, you know. Uh, Cindy won spiders, big spiders, you know. Um, and so later in the, in the evening, 
you know, I just mentioned, oh, I killed that spider. That There was a huge spider in the room, and I killed him. And they were like, you killed Harvey? Now, we did support them as missionaries, so I didn't feel for my physical harm or whatever. But, but you know, it was like, you name your spiders. Um, and so I'm sorry, Harvey. You know, rest in peace. Not really sorry. But, you know, it's like if you are going to keep spiders on the wall, you might want to let people know that you have a pet named Harvey. You know, he didn't have a name tag. Hello, my name is Harvey. You know, I mean, anyway. So when it comes to stewardship, I'm not so good with spiders, okay? A steward is one who takes care of something that belongs to another, who belongs to the owner. In this case, I stomped on Harvey, and he's dead, and, you know, I don't know if he's in spider heaven or spider hell. Uh, don't know what he's really, I would need to just stop, right? Um but here's the thing. I think most people would, or many people would agree that God has made us. He's the creator. He sustains us. He has redeemed us through what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, but do we really see God as the owner of all we have? You get a lot of responses from people, and they vary from a resounding yes to maybe to an absolute no. He's not the owner of all I have. Some see that their lives have been blessed and that God has provided for them. Some may feel that they have worked hard for their income and that God has absolutely nothing to do with it. And just saying, that's how some people think. Many would say that they have worked hard, but God has blessed them. So sometimes it's a stretch for every, to say that everyone understands that all that we have is from God. And so therefore, the kind of the whole understanding of stewardship in a church and, and in giving and that type of thing. But in the spirit of thanksgiving, I would like to just offer a few things that might be good reminders for us all, but especially for those that feel like they're sort of self-made, and that doesn't apply necessarily to anyone in this room, but there are folks who, who live and believe this way, feel like that they completely control their destiny and they completely have made their fortune. So a few things, that, that we are able to live in a place with freedom, we're in a place where most are able to read and write at a very young age. Where people serve in the military to keep us safe. Where those serving as police and fire and first responders run into harm's way to help and to protect. We live in a place where there is opportunity for employment. May not be your dream job, but it's employment. There's the opportunity for education. And just understanding that just being literate is so huge. And that the literacy, illiteracy, is such a major factor in poverty. We have the opportunity to worship. So, in my mind, there are so many gifts. There are so many uh, things to be thankful for. When we returned from Africa, besides the fact that it was an incredibly long flight... And then we, it, when you go to Africa, they usually fly you in these planes that my mother would have been afraid of had she known. Um, you know, these little bitty planes that you get in and have to fly places. And when I came back, I really wanted to kiss the ground. I refrained from it. <laughs> but incredibly grateful for where we did. Uh, not in an arrogant sense, but just, and certainly there are many things wrong uh, in 
our country, but there are many things right and grateful for those things because in other countries they don't they often don't have the things we're talking about. Scripture repeatedly speaks of God's provision to us as creator and redeemer and sustainer. Psalm 24 verses 1, the first verse says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So he made us, he cares for us, he keeps our world in order. I think as a general rule where there is chaos, usually God is not a part of that. God brings creation and brings order. Um, He spoke order into chaos in Genesis. So often people just see stewardship in light of church budgets, but there is so much more to consider. There is so much more. And I think when we think about our legacies and how people will remember us, um, I think it is so important to think about how we give our time and how we give our talents and and how, how we encourage people. To me, those things are the things that are matter. For those that consider finances their greatest treasure, I think that is so sad. That if they think what they've done financially is really the big thing of their life. We live in community. And we're in a community of faith here. And so we're really designed to live in a relationship with God and with others. And, and we say that very quickly, but think about to be in a relationship with God, with the one who spoke and created the universe, the one who maintains it, the one who keeps it in order, the one who cares about you and wanted a relationship with you. And so Jesus went to the cross. And he is the one that redeemed us. Sometimes people talk about tithing and 10% and they talk about, you know, whatever, all these different things. And I think it's important to say that I don't think that God needs our money. But I think we need to grow in giving. I will say for myself, I need to grow in giving. And certainly these may be things that we've been taught when we were young and and. But for Methodists, we believe that we continue to grow. We continue to want to be more like Jesus. Generosity is not just an emotion. It's a decision. Somewhat like like forgiveness. I understand that things can change in a day financially for people. I understand that that it's not always an easy situation. Sometimes things are very difficult. The point is, is that God is faithful. Whether things are wonderful for you or whether things are difficult for you, that God is faithful. I did not know that I would be at a point of being kind of the sole provider of our family and spent much of my adult life thinking that there would be a trust, capital T, that would cover our retirement. But that is no more. And so I don't really like retirement commercials. <laughs> they make me uneasy because um, that's not where I am. But God is faithful. And I have to set my face toward looking to him. And I don't mean be flippant or ridiculous about money or whatever. Obviously, we need to save and all of that kind of stuff. But God is faithful. And he watches over us. And he knows where we are. As we do what God asks of us, our obedience can become a powerful thing. I want you to think for just a minute 
with me about Moses. In the Old Testament, God used Moses. Uh, and when God spoke to Moses, he was in time out. He had been in time out for about 40 years, right? Moses grew up in Egypt and was trained in Pharaoh's house, basically, and then evidently had not gone to the counselor about his anger issues. And he got mad one day and killed a guy. Yeah, I would say that's a problem, right? And then he had to flee. Then he covered it up. Then he had to flee. And he went to Midian, it says, the backside of the desert. I don't know if you've been to the desert, but the backside of the desert doesn't sound very appealing to me. The desert doesn't sound appealing. Backside does not sound very appealing. And yet that's where God speaks to him. Let me share with you what a friend wrote. In the Old Testament, God used Moses, not the perfect man in many ways. And all Moses had was a stick, maybe a staff, and a stutter. Remember, Moses kept saying, God, I, I can't speak. Don't send me. And God empowered that stick and turned it into a snake. God made Moses pick up the snake. Glad it was him and not me, he writes. And he got a stick back. If God can empower and use a man with a stick to deliver a nation through the wilderness into the promised land, what could he do and what could we do with all the things we have? I don't think it's a matter of us looking at our situations, although obviously we have to use wisdom. I get that. But I think as we grow in Christ, we have to look more and more at him and his provision. And one of my confessions to you, besides killing two spiders in Africa, is that I feel like sometimes I'm holding out a teacup and saying, oh God, I need your help. And maybe he wants to fill a swimming pool. You know, Ephesians talks about how he has blessed us with every blessing under heaven. Oh, my goodness. And sometimes I'm just saying, God, I need help. Here's my teacup. And God is saying, I have so much more. And sometimes part of that is that we believe what he says. In Malachi, it talks about, test me and I will pour out blessings from heaven now I don't know if that would be in dollar bills for you I don't know if when they wrote Malachi dollar bills were around just saying but God is saying that he is more than enough for whatever we deal with for whatever we face it is his provision and so as we fill out estimate of giving cards I get it that we kind of have to think it through and, and what's the situation and I understand all of that. But my prayer for us all is that we can also look at God's provision to us, his faithfulness to you. My confession to you that despite the things of the last three years is that God has been incredibly faithful to us. Faithful. I never thought in three years Robert would stand on this stage and be able to declare healing. And that's God. That's totally God. A couple of thoughts in that. What a blessing it is to be a part of this community of faith. And I would just like for you to remember with me how God has been moving in our midst. Um, the days a couple of years ago that we started a program, especially for single moms, single parenting, and, and had 
of three people involved in that, Rebecca Carpenter and Mary Yurisich and Corinne uh, Robinson, and, and how they worked with single moms because they had been in the same situation. Um, and how women came in from seeing the signs. And women came in from getting a card that, that we had set out in communication. And they came in very broken. And some of them are here now, and they have they serve in the church, and they help with coffee service, and they help on Wednesday nights, and and they are now mentoring other women. Oh my goodness! The Wednesday night meal for some of them helped them make it through the week because they didn't have enough money to feed their kids, and we helped them. And they said, as a single mom, to be able to come in and sit down with their five kids and eat and we all help that happen and that's huge for them one lady said this is my lifeline she came in crying and after a semester of going through single and parenting with Rebecca and Mary and Corinne then then she was the one when we started grief share that she met a lady on the parking lot on a January night cold and the lady was in her car crying she had opened the door but she was in her car crying because her son had died unexpectedly and she didn't know if she could live. And so the broken single mom from five months ago gets her out of the car, walks her into the church, sits with her at dinner, and walks her to grief share where people minister to her. And it made a difference for her life. A lot of times we don't see that. We don't see when the kids go on the end zone retreat and make decisions that are life-altering and that there are so many more kids in end zone because they invite their friends. We have gathered in this room when people have brought their children to this altar to be baptized. And, and as a group, we rejoice in that. We, as a, as a congregation, have responded with conf when confirmation classes here as they're about to be promoted to the youth group. And, and as they make their affirmation of faith, they say, I believe in Jesus, and I want to serve him and be his disciple. We have been in this place, and we have stood as a bride comes down the aisle and rejoiced with the families as, as they have, as a wedding has taken place. And we've also been in this place and stood when a family was brought in for a funeral. And we have grieved with those who have lost someone, yet we know they are with the Lord. All the things that have happened in this room and in this building for the kingdom of God. And it's not for us to say, how cool are we? But it's to say, oh my goodness, the privilege of being a part of that. The privilege of being able to say, yes, we have this ministry and come in and come eat dinner and, and, and come get encouraged and know that God is not, a, is not far away from you. You're not alone. We say to people, this is a family. This is a family. So in a few minutes, we will sing a couple of songs. And during that time, you can bring your estimate of giving card down. And this is not like a guilt trip of, you know, I saw um, on Facebook, and of course I know it was right because it was on Facebook, right? But um, I saw this preacher just screaming about money, screaming. 
and it was you know and just a number of things come to your mind including you know you probably shouldn't be doing what you're doing but God knows where we are and he knows what we need and he is faithful he is faithful and it's in our giving that we begin to understand the generosity of God and it's in our giving that we're able to partner with him the things that we do in this church and things that we do for the kingdom of God around the world. What a privilege and what a responsibility. My mother um, was the sole provider for our family for a number of years. My father, when I was five years old, had a nervous breakdown and really wasn't the same person, not that I remember <laughs> the previous person, um, but really struggled. And he struggled a great deal all of his life. And so he was medically retired at 12 when he had a heart attack, but he could not really hold a job before then. And a lot of it, it certainly there were mental issues. Certainly that was true. But a huge issue in my father's life was he was not able to forgive. And it destroyed him. I mean, it just... He could not forgive, and it just destroyed him. And so my mother had to go to work to support the family, and she was a secretary and worked at downtown Dallas. And a secretary's, I mean, this was like in the um, late 60s, 60s and 70s. I guess you can do the math on my age. And um, I'm sure she made almost nothing. And then eventually she was very good at what she did, including, you know, she, and, and so she eventually was the secretary to the president of the company um, and, you know, was greatly loved where she worked, and that's the type of person she was. But I remember sitting beside her at Conquer Hill United Methodist Church, and I remember her putting a check in the offering every week, not unlike Nathan talking about his dad and writing a check. And, and she really had, we had very little, but it was her desire to make that decision and honor God in that way. And so I just encourage you, uh, not in a guilt or shame way, but the privilege we have in partnering with God. Scripture is clear about the tithe. People argue back and forth about that. And if you're not there, then 1% or 2% or whatever you can do, he will bless. He knows where we are. This is not condemnation. This is what a privilege to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. I don't know how it is for you at your house, but at my house, I kind of like to have electricity. You know, at my house, I kind of like it when the heat works or the AC works or when the water works, all those things. And it's the same at the church. It costs a little bit more than it costs at my house. You can add a couple of zeros to that. Um, What a privilege we have. What a blessing to be a part of. Scripture says, will you test me? The Lord says, test me. And so we trust, will we trust him to do what he said he will do? That as we are faithful, as we are obedient, that he is faithful too. Let's pray. Oh God, you know exactly where we are and you know exactly what's going on. You made us and we confess that all that we have is yours. And I pray, Lord, in this time of worship and giving is worship, that in this time of worship, your name would be honored. And Lord, you would speak clearly 
And more importantly, God, we thank you that you want to be in relationship with us. We thank you that that, that is your heart. We thank you that we're part of a community of faith, that we are not alone, that you are with us. And we have each other. So, God, we call on your name. And we thank you for your abundance. And, Lord, forgive me, forgive us when we're holding out a teacup and you want to fill a swimming pool. Oh, Lord, we love you. We love you. It's in your name that we pray.